And the rest of you can turn to our scripture passage in the bulletin. You can find Luke chapter 19 uh, printed in the bulletin. If you have a Bible, you can turn there as well. Um, We're continuing our series this morning in Luke's gospel called Meals with Jesus. Um, Throughout Luke's gospel, it's been said that Jesus was either going to a meal, was at a meal, or was coming from a meal. Um, This was one of his primary ministry strategies, right? Long meals around the table with all different kinds of people. And in his book, Tim Chester, in his book, A Meal with Jesus, says that meals can actually be a reflection of our hearts, thought that was interesting. Meals can be a reflection of our hearts. If that's the case, we look at Jesus at his meals and we see what his heart is like. It's reflected in Luke chapter 19 this morning. As you're turning there, um, one of the greatest birthday presents that I ever received to date uh, was a dog on my 10th birthday named Holly. Um, So Holly was a yellow Labrador retriever, um, seven weeks old when we got her. There's nothing cuter than a seven-week-old yellow Labrador retriever puppy. Um, we got her, we were instantly in love, um, and we were basically inseparable. I mean, we would spend every waking moment together. She would, like, sleep on our lap if we were sitting watching TV. She would sleep in my bed under the covers every night growing up. I mean, she, she was with us all the time. My brother and I loved Holly, and one day we came home from school, and we had left her outside that day in the backyard, and, she, and Holly had escaped. She escaped, and um, we instantly panicked. You know, some dogs are kind of chill, and are kind of good dogs where if they get out of a fence or out of the house, they don't sprint away from the house. They just kind of hang out in the yard. This was not Holly. If Holly smelled freedom, she would sprint as far away as possible. And so we knew that if she got out of the gate, then, you know, who knows where she is. We couldn't see her anyway. So my brother and I, we get on our bikes and we panic and we're riding all over the neighborhood. We can't find her. Finally, this, this sort of dead-end street that we never really went down, there's these woods We go back there and we see her and she sees us. And again, normally she would like make it into a game of not getting caught. But something happened to her that day where we start running towards her. She starts running towards us. And it's this beautiful scene of like these two young boys running towards their dog and the dog running to them. Because that thing uh, that we loved had been lost. And so we went seeking after her. And sure enough, when she saw us seeking after her, She came seeking after us, and we were reunited, and it was beautiful. This passage that we're looking at this morning is about seeking, and we're going to see seeking in multiple ways from multiple people. A little context for our passage. Jesus has been en route to Jericho. He encounters a blind beggar on the side of the road. Jesus heals him. He continues on to Jericho, and our passage picks up Luke chapter 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, 
Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The word of the Lord. Father, we do give you thanks for your word. What a gift that we can know you. And we just acknowledge that we can't know you unless your Holy Spirit comes and meets us and opens our eyes and our ears and our hearts to your word. And so, Holy Spirit, would you do that now? We long to know you. We long to be different, to be made new in you. And would you do that by your spirit working through your word? Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so two headings this morning. We'll look at this passage. We're going to look at seeking and then responding. Seeking and responding. So first, let's talk about seeking. All right, so Jesus has now entered Jericho. It says he's passing through, and immediately Jesus and Zacchaeus meet. And the text actually tells us, like I said, that they are both seeking. Verse 3, look at it. It says Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. And then down in verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Both are seeking. Let's unpack those a little bit. First, let's talk about Zacchaeus's seeking. Who was Zacchaeus? Let's do a little profile here. Verse 2 tells us that he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Um, okay, so tax collectors were notoriously bad, publicly bad. They were known to steal. They were known to collect money for themselves personally, which did not belong to them. Um, they would basically just take a little bit off the top uh, before they turned it in to the authorities. They would keep some for themselves. They were considered traitors because they aligned with Rome and they sort of worked as middlemen who would take from everyone. And it says that Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. Uh, And he made so much money in this crooked job that he was actually known for being rich as a part of it. It was part of his reputation. And speaking of the city of Jericho, where they were in this passage would have been a key city for tax collecting. It was one of three tax collecting centers at the time. So lots of money running through this city. All that to say Zacchaeus had money, connections, power because of it. And he was proven to be crooked. It was a known thing. Um, We were talking about this passage as a staff team in our Monday meeting this week. And it was pointed out that when Jesus interacts with sort of the poor or the marginalized, even people who have done really bad things, um, it's easier to be sympathetic to their situation and root for them. Um, But Zacchaeus, based on how he's described here, he's kind of hard to root for. Um, Maybe the modern day equivalent would be like an uber wealthy crooked politician who's been proven to be crooked and unjust and dishonest and it's just a known person everyone knows who he is and and knows all the things he's done that would sort of be a modern day equivalent of this and Jesus goes and and interacts with him the text points out that he was a small stature which is an interesting detail added I mean that's added here because there were crowds gathered around uh, to see Jesus coming into Jericho and because of his small stature he had to go find a place where he could actually see Jesus Uh, My four-year-old EK does something similar where if we're at a sporting event or anything she's interested in, she will instantly say, Dad, Dad, pick me up. Dad, pick me up. Dad, can I get in your shoulders? Can I get in your shoulders? Dad, I need to see. I need to see. And she'll insist on it until I put her up on my shoulder so she can see whatever it is we're looking at. Zacchaeus does something similar here. Verse 4, it says he runs ahead and climbs up a tree. He insisted on seeing Jesus coming into town. Um, Just a side note, two things not dignified for gentlemen to do in this era. Run climb trees he's like I I don't care I have to see this I have to see Jesus 
coming into town. Why? Because he was seeking Jesus. This wealthy, crooked, despised tax collector was seeking Jesus. That's the kind of pull or attraction that Jesus had on people. Especially those who were considered really bad or on the margins of society. Um, The religious leaders, they were worried he was going to take away their power. Um, they, They tried to trap him in his words. They didn't obey his teaching. They didn't listen to his teaching. But the bad people... The non-religious people, the marginalized, the poor, the unclean, they're all drawn to him. And what was going on inside of Zacchaeus? Um, Something was happening that gave him a desire to be near Jesus. To see him, to be close to him, to talk to him. And ultimately, it's God's spirit working inside of him, stirring in him. But this gets worked out just through very practical ways. And so maybe he felt this stirring of the spirit through maybe... Maybe feeling an emptiness in his career. Uh, maybe he realized that, that living for this sort of crooked gathering of wealth, it wasn't satisfying. It was, it was empty. He was feeling conviction from it. Uh, maybe he was so isolated because of his career uh, that he was just deeply lonely. He was coming to the end of himself. Um, there was something in his current situation that was leaving him coming up short on satisfaction and fulfillment. It just wasn't enough. And the Spirit of God was stirring in him, and so he was seeking Jesus. I want you just to pause for a minute. Think about where you are. Where are you in life right now? Just get up in the airplane, the 30,000 foot view on where you are in life. Um, What stage of life you're in, what occupies your days, work, school, maybe a dating relationship, maybe parenting, hobbies. Um, Where are you with all those things? Um, How's it going in terms of ultimate satisfaction in your life right now? Are you fulfilled? More, do you feel this restlessness, this longing for more? Maybe you've got some really, maybe it's a good season of life. You've got some good things going and you're like, oh, I thought when I got here, this would kind of be it, but I'm still restless. Do you feel that stirring inside of you? Something's going on inside of Zacchaeus. And he, above all people, was seeking Jesus. Uh, One of my daughters just finished up a sports season recently and they had a final team dinner and uh, she received... Um, the award. Every person on the team got an award, and she received the award uh, most likely to leave your lunchbox at practice. That was the award that she received. Um, and in true consistency, at this dinner, um, she went home from the dinner. She forgot to bring her bag home with her uh, from this dinner. And so it was late in the evening this past week, and we were actually knocking on the door of the school. We had to get a janitor to come and let us in to try and find this bag. But in many ways, it was not a huge surprise that she had left this bag behind. Uh, It was kind of true consistency with the award she had just received earlier in the day. No big surprise there. We had to seek it out. For those watching, Zacchaeus' seeking would have been a big surprise. He's looking for who? This chief tax collector is trying to seek out Jesus? This would have been shocking. What does it tell us? No one's beyond hope. No one's beyond hope. He was well into his career, established... I don't know who that brings to mind for you. Don't give up hope. God sent his spirit to work in the hearts of surprising people in surprising times of life even. And they start seeking Jesus. That's what was happening with Zacchaeus. He was seeking, but so was Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus' seeking. All right, so verse 10 tells us the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is what Jesus did. Um, This is one of the few ways the Bible describes explicitly what Jesus came to do. 
Um, elsewhere, it says he came eating and drinking. That's what we're basing this series on that we're in right now. It says he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It says he came to seek and to save the lost. And Tim Chester in his book says that his eating and drinking was one of the primary ways in which he came to seek and to save the lost. So if he really came to seek and save the lost, how did he do it? By eating meals with the lost. By getting around a table with them, by dining with them. We see it. Verse 5, Jesus came to the place. He looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. This is amazing. It's like, hey Zacchaeus, um, I'm at work in your heart right now. Um, I'm giving you the desire for faith in me by my Holy Spirit. The way this is going to work is that you're going to invite me over to your house for a meal. And you don't know this fully yet, but I'm coming to seek you out and to save you. I'm doing it by inviting myself into your home. And Phil Riken in his commentary, he makes the point of, this is a great picture of how Jesus works with all of us. Right? He comes after us and he invites himself into our lives. And it often feels like he was uninvited. He just shows up. And I want you to think about that in your own life. If you're someone who follows Jesus, who believes, whenever that became real to you, what, how did God stir in you? How did he work in you? What was it like when God invited himself into your life? Uh, maybe it was through a friend who told you about Jesus. Uh, maybe it was um, through like a friend bringing you to a camp or a youth group or a ministry event. Uh, maybe when you had no previous spiritual interest at all. Maybe it was during a hard moment in life, a low moment in life. Um, sometime where you had lots of time on your hands and you were just sort of stewing and thinking and suddenly Jesus moves in. However Jesus intervened in your life, he often shows up in unexpected ways. He invites himself in. And it happens in our text and Jesus and Zacchaeus meet. Zacchaeus is seeking Jesus. Jesus seeking Zacchaeus. They meet. Let's talk about the responses. Three responses in this passage. We see it from the crowds. We see it from Zacchaeus and we see it from Jesus. First, the crowd's response. Okay, so Jesus and Zacchaeus meet. They agree to have a meal at Zacchaeus' house. This happened in a public place. Uh, People saw the chief tax collector and this teacher Jesus who'd been making all kinds of claims. They see them talking and going to a meal in his house. What do they say? Look at verse 7. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Again, Riken sheds light on why this is so controversial. He says, the chief tax collector was public enemy number one, a collaborator with the Romans. How could Jesus associate with him at all, let alone share table fellowship with him, especially since people thought that to eat with a known criminal was to be implicated in his crimes? To eat with a known criminal was to be implicated in his crimes. People would think that Jesus is in on Zacchaeus' criminal activity if he goes and eats with them. Guilty by association. Similar principles apply still today, right? And the crowds scoff at Jesus for doing this. And, you know, depending on where you're coming from, it's tempting to read this and to sort of roll our eyes at the response of the crowds. You know, we're always cheering for Jesus and the underdog. We love to see that. And, and, and generally that's true. But, but remember who we're dealing with here. Zacchaeus had made lots of money ripping people off and gained power as the chief tax collector and notoriety for being really good at his bad job. Um, And again, um, maybe the equivalent is like a widely known, proven, corrupt politician in our day. But what does Jesus do? Seeks him out. 
goes into his house. But I think we might be more inclined to grumble at this than we realize. Why? It's so easy for us um, to sort of put parameters or boundaries around what types of people we want Jesus to interact with. There's a certain kind of bad in our minds that's okay for Jesus to interact with. And then sometimes, depending on our story and our background, there's another kind of bad that just isn't okay, where we would kind of grumble or cringe if we saw Jesus entering and interacting with someone who was doing those things, whatever they may be. It's sort of like, oh no, Jesus, not that type of person. Not someone who's done those things. Don't, don't go eat with them. Don't go do that. Um, grumbling about the types of sinners Jesus ate with. That's what they were doing. We have a tendency to do the same thing. We have two animals at our house. Max is our dog. Max is about 50 pounds. Charlotte is our rabbit. She's about, I don't know, three pounds. Um, up until this week, Charlotte, she's three years old. She's lived most of her life in a cage out back. And she rarely, if ever, comes out of her cage. But one of my kids asked this week if we could order her a leash and a harness off of Amazon. And uh, sure enough, we did. Uh, and so now our three-pound bunny can go for walks. So you're welcome for that image. Uh, you're welcome to come by and see this. It's an amazing sight to see. Uh, but there was this moment where we first got Charlotte out of her cage and put the leash and the harness on her. And this little three-pound bunny rabbit was now in our backyard with our 50-pound dog. And normally our 50-pound dog is chasing squirrels on a mission to end the existence of all squirrels that he's ever seen before. But now there's a squirrel-sized thing on a leash right in front of him. And so it was really, we were really nervous. How are they going to interact? And sure enough, we realized pretty quickly that we need to keep them separated from each other. Um, thankfully, everyone's okay, but we have to sort of like keep one inside, one outside if we're going to do the rabbit on the leash thing, which how can you not do the rabbit on the leash thing? But a large dog and a small bunny, that just, they don't go together. People watching Jesus and Zacchaeus, I mean, they don't go together. Chief tax collector, Jesus, so they grumbled. They didn't like it. That was the crowd's response. Let's talk about Zacchaeus' response. Look at verses 5 and 6. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Okay, so the first response to being up close with Jesus, he hurries and then what? He receives him joyfully. Receives him joyfully. I don't want to project anything into the text that isn't there. I remember hearing about another pastor who, um, if he would say something that wasn't in the text, he would wear a tie when he preached. He would put his tie over the back of his shoulder and then make the point just to say that, you know, this isn't in the, in the script. So if I was wearing a tie, I would put the tie over the back of my shoulder when I'm about to say this. But who knows the level of shame that Zacchaeus felt deep inside of himself? for building a career on ripping people off and being in a career path that just totally isolates you because people don't like you. I don't know, but I would guess that's probably a lot of shame. A lot of shame behind that. Yet there's something about meeting Jesus where joy won out over his shame. Where instead of feeling more shame as he encountered Jesus, he receives him joyfully. And Zacchaeus' response continues in verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. What are we seeing here? It's a picture of true repentance. It's true repentance. It's, repentance is not just saying you're sorry for your sin. Uh, it is that. True acknowledgement. True confession. But it's also a turning away from it. Turning back to God. 
Um, Scripture talks about bearing fruit in keeping with repentance or living in keeping with repentance. It's, It's a turning away from our sin back to God. And it's never perfect in this life. Happens again and again. It's a process. Happens little by little. But true repentance will always leave us facing a new direction. Back to God and His grace to us living in the new life that He's called us to. And that's what Zacchaeus does here. He repents of his unjust life and career. He forsakes it completely. And commentator Riken describes his response. He says, In making amends to the people he defrauded, Zacchaeus intended to go well beyond what the law required. Zacchaeus offered to pay back four times the amount he had stolen through excess taxation. Double restitution was the norm. And the law required fourfold restitution only for the theft of an animal. But Zacchaeus discovered that it is more blessed to give than to receive. These changes that Zacchaeus made must have cost him a fortune. Zacchaeus' response is not a mere formality. It's not just a PR move so the public thinks he's different. It's this heart level change that's showing itself in a new way of living. A new way of life. And it's beautiful. And we see this and we cheer it on. And as we see this, there's an invitation for us to examine our own hearts. Examine our own repentance. You know, it's not just lip service. It's not a mere formality. Something we just kind of know we're supposed to do. We, We mess up. We do something. God, please forgive me. I repent. This can be especially difficult if you're following Jesus for a long time. We can get comfortable with certain sins in our lives. We can learn to maybe ignore them or just tolerate them. Maybe still acknowledge them before the Lord. But if we're honest, we feel despair about real change and any kind of um, new life springing up in that area. So we just kind of give up. We We don't bear fruit in keeping with our repentance like Zacchaeus modeled here. So maybe we repent with our words, but there's no like, there's no turning away in our lives. And that resonates with me. I don't know if that resonates with you. But if that's where you find yourself this morning, Jesus' response helps us. We've seen the crowd's response, Zacchaeus' response. Let's talk about Jesus' response. Look at verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. So Jesus tells Zacchaeus that he's saved. Salvation has come to his house. And he adds, since he is also a son of Abraham. So Zacchaeus was Jewish. So by his heritage, he was a part of the Old Testament people of God, of Israel. But he had totally rejected it, did not live according to his covenant people, and lived this rebellious life as a tax collector. And Jesus says today he has been restored back, back into relationship with God, back into the true people of God who have believed in the heart in the Lord. So there's this full restoration of someone who's lived a very publicly rebellious life. Jesus is declaring that this is a new Zacchaeus. Not the old Zacchaeus that everyone was familiar with. His sins have been forgiven. He's made new in Christ. We saw this in our assurance of grace this morning. Earlier in our service. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And this is the key to our growth in Christ. To remember that we really are united to Jesus, to remember that we're not the same old self we were before we came to faith in Christ. 
We are a new creation. The old is, has gone. The new has come. And now we have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And because of that, it's not our power that we're turning away from our sin with. It's not old, feeble Jonathan that's turning away from his sin. It's the power of the Spirit of God living and dwelling inside of me by nature, my union with Jesus, that gives me the strength to really say no and to really turn back to Jesus in his grace to us. Real change is possible. Real change is possible. You have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of you. The power of God working in you. Real change is possible and it's messy. And it's little by little. It doesn't always work itself out the way we hope it to. But it's possible because we've been made new by the Spirit of God. We have the power of God in us. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And this is an invitation that's extended to each of us this morning. Jesus really does invite himself into our homes for a meal. And no matter what our reputation might be, uh, no matter how bad of a life we've lived, how publicly bad of a life we've lived, no matter what our record or maybe our actual record has on it, he came to seek and save the lost like you and me. Um, if you've ever been through the airport in Atlanta, you know how busy it is. Um, I, I, I know the mayor gets on the intercom and says, welcome to the busiest airport in the world. I think that's true. Uh, the mayor said it, but I was in the Atlanta airport recently and I stopped at Starbucks to, to grab something in between flights and I feel like every Starbucks everywhere is the busiest place in the world, um, no matter where you go. But you can imagine the Starbucks in the Atlanta airport. Um, and so it was unimaginably busy, the Starbucks. They had the lines roped off. And there was this mob of people like blocking traffic in the airport trying to get their Starbucks on this morning. And um, the, the line was so long, actually, you know, that people would go inside and pay first. And then you stand in this mob line and you wait um, you wait for them to call your name. And it was just, it was taking so long. So these people would go in and, and pay, you know, it's not cheap. It's Starbucks and it's an airport, right? Not cheap. They'd buy their drink and then they would go wait in this line. And it was, you know, like at least 10 minutes. And then you watch all these people. I mean, there were dozens of people standing out there and they'd start looking at their watch, or I guess their phone more realistically. And, and they would start to get antsy and they would say, I, I got to go catch my flight. It's a matter of either I stay and get the drink that I paid for or I go and catch my flight. And so all these people were leaving the drink that they had paid for behind, again, not cheap, and going because they had to get the flight to the next place they were going. And so this amazing woman who was working at Starbucks, I mean, she knew how to take command of all these people. It, it was amazing. Um, at one point she said, hey, everyone, be patient with us. We're at the busiest place in the world. And everyone just like stopped and listened to her. But she would take these drinks and after three times of calling your name, if you didn't receive the drink, she would say, all right, free drink. Who wants a caramel macchiato? And then someone just, they, and we kind of look at you, I'll take it. And so people just get, started getting free Starbucks. You know, they came and ordered one thing. They'd get muffins and stuff they didn't order. But I mean, seriously, like half of the drinks that were ordered went to someone else who did not pay for them. And it was like, this is, I've never seen anything like this. Um, the rightful owners were not seeking out their coffee. They, they had paid for them, but they just ditched it and ran off to go catch their flight. And so all of these, you know, cups of coffee were ending up with someone else who didn't pay for them. Um, Jesus came to seek you out. He came to seek you out and to save you. And he is so committed to that happening that he took the cost on himself. 
that he paid for it in full. You do not pay the price to be found by Jesus. He paid it for you on the cross. And he paid for your sins in full. The payment has been made. And guess what? Everyone whom the Father has given to him, he will come after and he will find. And he will bring you into his family. Full forgiveness, full righteousness by his perfect life, full love for all eternity. He will not let you go. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And he will find you and he will bring you in to the family of God. Won't you respond in faith to the one who's seeking us this morning? He offers himself to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news that while we are lost in our sin, sprinting the other direction, wanting nothing to do with you, dead in our sin, Jesus came to seek us and save us, to invite himself into our homes, into our hearts, to pay for our sins, past, present, and future, to give us his perfect life of righteousness, to draw us into the people of God for all eternity. Thank you for this good news. Father, for those who are here and maybe are feeling a stirring, maybe they don't know you in a heart-saving way, would you give the gift of repentance and faith and salvation today? Would you do that by your spirit? Father, for those who are here and who believe but are struggling, would you remind them of the security of their being sought out and paid for in full by Jesus in the family of God, with you, with your people forever. Remind us afresh this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.